Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, there's probably no one in Australia who's danced as close to the fire with Les Minette and Peter Field on that grand tension between long-term investment in brand versus short-term tactical activations as Michael McConville, who before returning to Australia last year was managing partner of Adam and Eve DDB in London, the home, of course, of Les Burnett. Michael has worked on some fascinating brands in the UK. At one end of the spectrum is the globally renowned retailer John Lewis, and at the other is Volkswagen, which perhaps much like Qantas today, had to navigate its way through and out of a brand reputational crisis after its global emissions scandal. Michael was also a lead player on Ford's integrated agency unit and has just hired another Australian expat back on that business to lead his agency media endeavours. Michael has some genuinely instructive learnings and insights from all of these blue chip brands in the Northern Hemisphere. And he's back in Australia as global CEO of Australian indie creative and media outfit Cummins & Partners with some big plans to put the shop back on the map after perhaps a few years in the wilderness. Cummins has some big name clients from Jeep to McCain and Michael is about to lay down a marker for his creative agency competitive set with a deal he's just done for an exclusive alliance on econometrics modelling with local startup Mutinex. Not your typical territory, you would think, for a creative house, but he says that's part of the problem. Creativity needs more business acumen. Michael used econometrics extensively with the UK brands he worked with, but there were challenges. He argues most of them are answered by the new automated econometrics model developed by Mutinex, known also as market mix modelling. So with that as some context, let's hear from an Australian expat back after nine years and fired up about the transformation he has planned for Cummins offices in Melbourne, Sydney and New York, and how some more business now can advance the creative agenda. I think you'll find this one interesting. Welcome, Michael. Let's start uh, firstly, I guess, with how creative agencies and blue chip brands have been using econometrics and market mix modelling in the UK. It's obviously building, has been building quite uh, solidly in Australia in the last couple of years, but how are they doing it? Why are they doing it? And is it making an impact? And, and welcome, Mr. McConville. Yeah, thank you very much for having me and lovely to talk to you, Paul. Look, in the UK, not everyone was using it. it it's quite hard to access. And traditionally, the, the players that were using it were the biggest of brands. So normally global brands or, or the biggest of those in the UK or in Europe. The great thing about econometrics there was, in all honesty, like you spent less time talking about data, funnily enough. You spent more time talking about creativity, in my experience. So it was used on John Lewis. It was used on Volkswagen, in my experience. But they were typically one dip a year, two dips a year. Um, might take five months for the data to come through to tell you exactly how well your work performed. But it was largely retrospective, which means you needed to build kind of learnings over time, which was fantastic. Uh, I think the best brand over there, the one I was most jealous of that used it well would have been Audi. They won a gold IPA effectiveness award one year and, and beat one of my brands to, at the post. But they had built it over time. Benjamin Braun, who I didn't know, but was a great marketer. He built learnings over three to four years and they were able to get to a point where they could forecast within 32 units of sale what their campaign spend was going to get them in terms of sales. So that was real discipline and that was really amazing. It's tempting, isn't it? Super tempting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And so the rationale for those that were doing it in the UK, why were they turning to econometrics? What was the promise and pledge? Yeah, I think, I mean, working with Les, who helped set up the model for 
John Lewis, of course, it, it was, there, was, there was no better alternative to prove the effect and value of creativity. And what we found on John Lewis is once everyone got to a really simple place that econometrics proved, which was the work works, that conversation around it, does the work work or not was, was gone. That wasn't what you were doing. You, you understood that the work worked because the econometrics proved it. It was just a question of how well it worked. And then you recognize that creativity was the determining factor. It was the difference between kind of really, really strong success or potentially kind of not achieving as well as you could. So that's really what we used it for. In Volkswagen, we set it up while I was working with that brand. And we were able to see across a range of different pieces of communication, some of them global, some of them local, some of them regional. You could see what was working best in the short and the long term. You could do it by asset, by channel. And, you know, it, it removed the notion of kind of you know, return on ad spend or last click attribution, which was sometimes misleading and just pulled the market forward. Um, this worked across all channels and there was nothing better to input your creative for future campaigns than to take learnings from what had worked previously. So you're talking about this primarily in a creative context. Um, a lot of the conversation in Australia around econometrics is about optimising channel mix and which channels are driving uh, whatever the objective is uh, from the brand and business and what they're looking for. Is it different here? Uh, I think it is different. I think perhaps it's in its infancy. But I think traditionally econometrics or market mix modelling is used for efficiency purposes. Uh, but I just think that's scratching the surface. That means cr the creative teams in the department aren't taking learnings from it. They are not in using it to inform their future initiatives. Uh, in the case of Audi, who were brilliant at how they used it, they drove really strong creative and really strong creative effectiveness and consistency in what they did. They built formulas as to how they should communicate. And that just made their training and their work better and better over time. As I said before, we didn't spend all of our time talking about the data though. The, the data kind of informed and helped us, but we just talked about creativity. We, we, we made sure the work was the best it could possibly be. We didn't, we didn't even test our work. John Lewis, we didn't pre-test our work. Volkswagen, we didn't pre-test our work. We pressed each other on our creative capabilities and we spent the time and industry to make sure that we we're all passionate about what we were putting forward. And routinely, we were right. Uh, and the work proved it time and time again. So it was, uh, it was freeing more than uh, kind of something that meant you were just talking about the functional side of the business. And, and that was, that's probably the most interesting learning from the whole experience, I think. Clearly, it, it informed creative, which I want to break down a little bit and understand. But um, was media and channel mix in the equation as well, Michael? Or was it this all about how to optimise creative? Yeah, it was the whole lot. Um, and I was fortunate. I've, I've spent most of the last 12 years running multi-agency groups for, for holding companies. And that would mean I had visibility and kind of some, some ability to kind of influence on creative, media, back-end, front-end, digital, social, sports sponsorship, data and analytics. Uh, my job was to put together the right clusters of of agency parts to make sure it was the right operating model for the client, um, which is part of what excited me about Cummins and Partners because it had those capabilities all within one shop. Um, and when you get those parts integrating, you fly. So yeah, of course it was all of those things combined, but we just found over time that most were using econometrics through the lens of efficiencies and through media. And when it's done that way, it's not encouraging the whole, uh, the whole part to work uh, as hard as it can. So when you use it across all parts and you democratize that data and you've got total transparency around the way you work, it breeds confidence and it breeds trust. And suddenly you're just talking about the quality of the work you're putting into market. And that's when it gets really fun. That's when you're making work that is the force multiplier in effect, and that's the most creative work. Give us a sample of how it's applied in a creative context then, because I've been following uh, market mix modelling, but 
hand up and say, you know, it's been very much on the on the channel planning side. And to your point, forecasting uh, sales, we've seen plenty of that happen. But this creative component, so how does it work? Is it comparing, breaking down different creative executions and working out what that impact is through into literally a transaction? Uh, yes, it, it can be used to that simple extent where you're just optimizing towards the the assets that work best. So you can put big toolkits into market and optimize to what works best. But that's probably, again, just scratching the surface. Once you're using it for creativity, you can recognize over a course of 10 campaigns over two and a half years, which, which the data will serve up for you, which elements work best. You can use that to inform future creative parts. And in all honesty, what it does, it reinforces the things that we all grew up learning the structure of communications, the nature of story flow, the nature of branding and where it should be introduced. All the things that Les Burnett will talk to, Mark Ritson will talk to, Byron Sharp will talk to, 80% of what those guys talk to is largely the same. The fun bit is in the bits where they're different, whether it's differentiation versus distinctiveness, et cetera. But most of what they talk to, the core principles of what we do are broadly the same. And if you follow those, econometrics will typically prove them to be true and correct. The difference is, we don't hold ourselves to account in projects to the things we've learned. We don't challenge each other at the right times in project and campaign development to keep each other honest in terms of what's really going to work. We all think our circumstances on each project are unique and different. And yes, they are to a certain extent, but the foundations of what works are reasonably true and reasonably static. And if we just follow their lead, we'll often be more right than wrong. And as I said, when it comes to econometrics, that routinely proves the things we all read day in, day out, but all too often fail to actually commit to. Mm. You talked um, on all the brands you worked with as well as Audi, though. Well, it takes time. I'll ask you why. Uh, but what were the challenges in the models that you were using in the UK? And just to elaborate a little bit more on the requirement here for patience, because this you need the data to build over time to understand. Is that the, is that the point here? That is one of the points, and that's probably one of my biggest challenges in, in trying to implement something here. I'll, I'll be honest, like I, I hoped to do something with econometrics and market mix modeling before I'd even taken the job and before I arrived. Because the challenge, but the challenge is in a word, there aren't that many econometricians. <laughs> um, there aren't that many people well-versed in this. And just to that example of Benjamin Braun or the example of John Lewis, it took years to build the number of campaign case studies required to get reliable data to inform your work. So, and that was largely because you had two dips a year. The, the results would pop out five months after the fact, and you'd have to collect all of those insights and combine them over years to inform your future work. Whereas what we've got here is something that can do that. Instead of five months later, we can do it within five days of a campaign going live. And that's where I get really excited. Well, let's go there. Let's see what is this Mutinix deal? Why the Mutinix deal? And how do you plan to use it? Yeah, so why the Mutinix deal is this is a step ahead of what even I'd been using in the past, but by a long, long way. This is, to me, a vanguard moment in our business and in our industry. Being able to ascertain the actual value, the actual marketing return on investment that every asset and component part in the channel mix can deliver within five days of a campaign going live is a transformational moment 
for our industry as far as I'm concerned. That allows you to optimize while a campaign is live. That allows you to routinely go after the things that are working. It allows you to work out what elements need to be in the mix for developing long-term brand building, but it also allows you to optimize towards things that are actually working in the wild. It's completely different in that respect. It's not traditional econometrics. It's not traditional market mix modeling. And that's one of the hurdles to overcome when talking to partners and clients about it. But the routine effects of being able to work like that from just an efficiency perspective is that you can gain 15 to 20% improvements on marketing return investments on a campaign to campaign basis. That's just by optimizing on all assets, not just digital assets. That goes for PR, that goes for TV, that goes for radio, that goes for the whole mix. But when we connect that to inform our creativity. Part of the audience that may not understand what this new econometrics model is about that Mutinex has developed, what is different about it? So it's the timeliness as much as anything else and the transparency and the accessibility. So we're launching this with with a couple of clients at the moment and we will be able to give, uh, we will plug in their data, media data, digital data, all forms of first and third party access data that we have into one tool and web app. And it will be a live, a close to live dashboard showing people, showing clients and agencies and partners exactly what's working in close to real time within five days. So having that allows us to inform, to gain insights on the hop and in real time, in, sorry, in campaign to optimize towards things that are working. And then if something's working brilliantly and we want to kind of add to that or develop further, we can, we can do so. We can build on that. Now, that's great in campaign. What it does, though, is we will have from the time we kick off with it, we'll have two and a half to three years worth of data plugged in, which means before you get going, you've got two and a half to three years worth of campaign insights to inform what you do next. That will go into a brief. What sort of data are we talking about? This is seasonal sales data. This is creative and campaign data. It's what goes into the model from what you're doing from what we're doing. So for clients, it will plug in sales data, it will plug in pricing, it will um, place in seasonality, regionality, all of those elements. From a media perspective, we'll take all third-party data and platform data over the course of two and a half to three years minimum. It just depends on what the client has access to and the agencies have access to, and that all gets plugged in. Now that's a 10-week setup, so that's where the patience is required on this, but in, in historical terms, compared to normal econometrics, that's not very long. And once you're up, you're up and you can take insights from all those campaigns you've run after run over the last two and a half to three years. And you can use those insights to plug into work from then onwards. And then everything just helps you optimize. And what it does also is it allows you to predict what you're going to do next. And that is completely different to what we've done before. That example of Audi took four years to get that consistency and that set of learnings. This tool will allow you to predict what your campaign is going to return. You insert a series of factors, you look at channel mix, you look at creativity, you look at um, previous campaigns and case studies, and it will help you predict what you can earn back from your campaign spend in advance. That is unlike anything we've been working with before, and that is a proper coalition and partnership of parts between media, creative, clients, and the whole shebang. It's transparency that's key. There there are too many spaces and places where data sits in silo. Everyone wants to hold it. Everyone wants to control it. And I couldn't care less for that. I I want a world that is utterly transparent. I want a world where we can be held to account. I want a world where we can target real business results rather than just softening it by talking about brand metrics. They are very different things. Exactly what I was going to say. So what predictive areas are you going to use this for? Are we talking about unit sales for whatever client and whatever category you're talking about? 
do you go to sort of the brand metric uh, measurements as well? Or is it all about business outcome? What is the sales result and the return from the activity, the marketing, advertising activity? You aim for all of it where possible. And I think, yeah, Les would say the same. Ritson would say the same. I sound like I'm name dropping, by the way. Like, I, I don't know all of these people. I just happen to work with some good ones along the way. But they will tell you to try and get out your data sets. And I look at things such as tracksuit for example, as, as a great kind of modern outlet that's pushing brand tracking forward as well. They are doing things differently in that space, and I love that. So no, we also want to look at brand equity. We also want to look at the way in which brand can inform business. You look to put forward, put together these offers, and you're in a different world to which we've been before. And that allows us to connect advertising to brand to business. And that's the missing link. I feel for CMOs, I feel for them because we talk to them about brand terms like awareness and consideration, but we've never been able to tell them what that means for the bottom line. So we serve up our CMOs to go and talk to the C-suite. And the first question the CFO has is, that all sounds wonderful. What does 5% increase in consideration mean for business? What return am I getting? And the conversation dies. My main thing in the way that the guys at Tracksuit are looking to disrupt brand equity and the way Mutinex, I think, have really advanced um, talk of econometrics and MROI, I'm really interested in returning marketing to being talked as a growth center, not a cost center. When we were growing up, there were two core growth centers within a business. One was new product development and one was marketing. Somewhere along the way, we lost the battle to talk to marketing as a growth factor in a business. It's become a cost center and it's been really hard for CMOs and marketers to justify why they would spend what they spend. If I can put a marketer in a position in a crude example to say, give me 1 million and I can prove to you that I'll return 4 million back to the business. Marketing is straight away at the top seat of the table. And that is what we owe clients. That's what we owe marketing. And that's why I say this isn't just a, an agency repositioning going after this. This is the beginning of an industry repositioning. This is a switch point, which means in five years, everyone will look back and kind of say, God, do you remember the way we used to do it? I can't believe we didn't know that stuff. That's crazy to me. And that's what I've always wanted to do. And now we've got the tools to do it. So you're, you're saying this is an, essentially an, an existential moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Econometrics existentialism. <laughs> I love that term. I love that. I could go as far and be as cheeky as saying this is a form of applied marketing science. We all learn the marketing theory and we all read and admire the marketing scientists that some of which I've spoken of in this in this session. This doesn't require you to draw on marketing theory or to try and take on board other people's case studies to apply to your own business. This enables real-time analysis and real-time input of your own data as a client, your own business's data to inform where you're going to go next and to prove the value of what you do. That is the missing piece in the marketing mix and has been now for decades. And we as agencies won't have excuses anymore to not know and to not put this sort of thing forward to clients. When you talk about predictability, uh, Michael, and predicting the impact of a campaign, I guess I have to ask which clients are going to use this at Cummins? Um, I mentioned a few at the top. Who's deploying first? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll defer to them on that one. There's, a, I would just say two of our biggest. Um, we started training this week, and, and but I want to give them their moment in the sun for being at the forefront of, of change in our industry. And um, look, they're excited. And any client that I've spoken to about this broad theme or about this over the course of the last year since I joined Cummins & Partners, 
just is get up on their toes. They're, they're beside themselves with excitement because it gives them the platform to do the things they know they should be doing but find hard to prove the value in doing. Creativity won't be talked about as a big bet anymore. And the, our, our clients won't have to talk about creativity as a big bet. It's a sure thing. And it's not about does creativity pay? It's like, yes, it fucking does. Just how much? Right. So let's go with the hypothetical then. Um, take your point that, you know, then perhaps we'll have a conversation with some of your um, blue chips later on about the deployment of this and how it's going. But in a hypothetical example of where you say we can predict business outcomes in a context of, of your clients, and I'm going to um, take some creative license here and say, well, I did say you've got Jeep and McCain. So let's go in and let's <laughs> take them out of this equation and go auto category. Do you think then that you will be able to get to a point like what Audi has, where you will be able to say in auto, if we do this work, we do it this way uh, and launch within X period of time, the unit sales will be Y. Is that where you hope to get to? Yeah, and I think we'll be looking to beat Audi. In that sense, I think the level of predictability through this will be much, much tighter and much closer because of the closer to real time nature of what we do. And that's what the nature of, for our business at least, the advent of machine learning and AI can help inform our creativity. I look on LinkedIn and it feels like AI just wants to write the next screenplay. Um, AI for us does not. It just informs what we do and better educates us on what, what we can do. And it will enable us to predict in a much, much tighter margin than that. I've, I've seen instances where it's gone as close to 0.3% margin of error on that predictability. So we will look to use that creatively to help clients get where they really need to be. And I will you know, modify our business model around that because I will make commitments to clients about what they're going to achieve because I'll know that we can and they won't have to stick their neck out to say if creative is going to work or not. We'll just prove that it can and it will. And then if anything fails, that's on my shoulders, not theirs. Well, I want to get to the business model in a sec, but um, you did talk at the top about the conversation stops orbiting around data. Two questions on that. Firstly, clearly companies have to have their, their data in order for these, this econometric stuff to work well because the, you need access to everything. So firstly, do they at a market level, do you think um, the data is sorted and, and in the right shape for it to feed um, the econometrics models, first thing? And then secondly, what do you mean by the conversation stops orbiting around data? Because Geez, I mean, the whole industry is just literally talking data, including myself. I'm guilty, Your Honour. So what do you mean by that? Yeah, and it is kind of awkward that I'm talking about a new piece of technology while also saying we don't have to talk about data so much. What I mean by that is, is in my experience, I think there's, there's something different in those organisations I've worked with compared to some of what we're talking about here. Once everyone got confident that the work works and it's proven, and people know that marketing and advertising is returning money to the business. You spend less time talking about that. It's not a question is black or white, does it work or does it not? The belief, the knowledge and the truth is that it works. But you recognize over time and what does work and what doesn't is the most highly creative work is the work that pays back best. Now, that sounds highly subjective. Um, what this will allow us to do, though, is go beyond kind of you know, aiming for, you know, trying to be right and, and talking about creativity subjectively. We'll be talking about the effectiveness of creativity. And what I found on those brilliant brands that have made some of the best work in the world over the course of years is that we were just talking about the work. At John Lewis, the, the Christmas got briefed in March. 
you know, they, it, the whole department worked at it. That was a whole, you know, ten, nine, ten months of work every single year to get the best possible piece of work. There was not one piece of pre-work research done. The, the brief didn't change that much year on year. There was real consistency in how it worked. And the only ambition was to come up with the best storytelling with the best craft, the best execution, and depositing to the brand most effectively. And anyone that's read, you know, the multiple case studies on that brand recognizes that the impact that had wasn't just in campaign. The long tail of that work lasted six months. And we did a lot of performance comms during the year that just kept on sweeping up that latent intent. It's not complicated. It's actually really obvious when you get into it. Um, but that's the freedom it enables you. Once you've got that confidence and trust that you will generate good work and good work pays better, then you just concentrate on the quality of the creative. And that's really, that's joyous. That's really, really fun. The creative teams, the creatives in, in the agency who are horrified by pretesting, they're not as horrified by this. No, because it enables them to stay pure. So, the, so our creative leaders will be trained in this. We won't go, we're not going light and just we'll have a, a strategist trained on this and a couple of senior business leaders. This will sweep through our organisation. So people are fluent in it, they understand it, and they can counsel and consult and coach clients on the go, which is the most beneficial thing we can do. But where it comes to creative, they'll understand it and they'll be able to ask questions about it. But their job is to stay pure and allow us to serve up the environment for them where they can do the best work of their fucking lives. And that's what agencies like Adam and Eve, DDB, enable people to do. We had Les in the building, but people weren't getting hit over the head with, you know, with econometrics and, you know, work from analysts. We enabled departments to do their best work. And that was hard work, but an awful amount of fun. And it routinely resulted in the most effective work in the world and the most creative. The quick answer on our company's brands data ready for this sort of econometric modelling at a market level? More often than not, yes, because at the, at the simplest level, you can look at sales data and pricing data. And all of those other factors that the media agencies hold well can be plugged in and can draw those correlation between customer experiences so they can connect those parts so it's not talking about a world of last click attribution as we so often are at the moment, particularly through digital channels. Yeah, horrifying that, isn't it? It still lives, that stuff. Yeah, it is. But, but to be fair, like it, it's improving. It really is. And, and the likes of YouTube and um, and Facebook, you know, like we talk about Les or we talk about Mark Ritson again, you know, they, they were lambasting those channels not that many years ago. And those vendors, they, they've really modified their approach. And you know, now we've got the likes of Les and Mark Ritson working in partnership with them, undertaking studies and moving things forward. So it is good to see things are moving forward. But when things are splintered and it's still done by vendor or channel or platform, it does make it hard for a marketer and an advertiser and a, let's say an agency village to do their best work because it remains splintered. What this does is it unifies it. And for one of the brands we're setting this up with, We'll get 20 licenses and the client will have some licenses. We'll have some licenses that has a channel through us, but I'll also pass over licenses to the media agency. We'll all have total transparency. That's the play. This is not about money. It's not, not about us kind of getting a partnership in place and raking in more cash for this. This is about doing the right thing by the work, by clients. And that transparency, that openness, that forms really tight teams. The, the teams that I worked with on John Lewis and Volkswagen, they were phenomenal across the board. Like the, the media agencies, creative, digital, client, everyone played brilliantly together. And we all had the same level of visibility and trust. You can build those kind of environments and teams, you're unstoppable. 
You teased um, a little bit earlier about this may change your your business model, your remuneration model at Cummins. Does this mean you will back yourself a bit more and what there'll be less um, head hours and fee structures and you'll, you'll back yourself on the upside to a client's business results? Totally. I don't see why I wouldn't or we wouldn't. I, with one of our clients at the moment, yes, month on month, they are under this new model going to pay me less month on month. I'm putting our margin at risk. And they're savvy enough and I'm open enough for them to know broadly what our margin is. But I'll put that margin at risk and then we're developing a bonus structure which enables us to grow as we grow their business. So as they achieve higher degrees of marketing return on investment, we will bonus against that. And that won't just be some annual piece that is fairly commonplace for large brand relationships. We'll look at that on a monthly and a quarterly basis because we can. And that client is totally of the understanding that yes, they'll pay me less upfront, but chances are they'll pay me more in the long run, but they'll be happy to do so because we'll be able to prove the incremental gains we've made for their business. I think a lot of agencies have toyed with this notion and this idea before and probably thought about something like like a royalty type approach as, as Nirvana, but they've been unable. I think most agency leaders have spent time over the last decade or two trying to work out what the right model is because we've all been crunched on margin, head hours, etc. This again, like can can mean something different for our industry and the way we service clients. And I can look a client in the eye and say, we'll only grow when you do. Simple as that. You are very much talking about a fundamental change to how the business model and agencies, at least, has been working for, for decades. So we'll watch that one with great interest. A bit beyond, um, so let's move to your business, for instance. Um, you know, there's an interesting play here at Cummins between creative and media. You've had media uh, as part of the business for I'm not sure how many years. Are you sticking with that? Is media going to stay inside the shop? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think we'll enhance it and it will it will be supercharged. I think it's been a tricky few years for a lot of agencies. Most agency leaders that are willing to be honest will, will acknowledge it's been a little bit scrappy out there. Uh, and I think I was lucky to come in at a point where we could start doing some pretty hard work quite quickly. And that's led to outcomes like this. But when it comes to our media, no, we've, we've done a lot of work over the last year and it's it's a really good operation. Luke Ma, um, we've pulled in. He's a returnee from overseas as well. He was in the UK running um, the WPP operation at an integrated level for Ford through media. And he's he's excellent. I'm really happy we've got him and he's really transforming our work. And what he's able to do is look at media creatively. The value we're getting for our clients through a media perspective is out of this world. And the bonus we're creating for our clients is out of this world because we are taking creative ideas built through a media lens to outlets, to channels, to publishers. And that's exciting for those publishers. And that's exciting for those uh, those news channels because they can see that we're going to be additive to what they do to a broadcast, to a partnership. And in all honesty, most media shops can't do that. They try, but they really can't do that. And where I feel lucky, and I know I'm talking a lot about this because it excites me, you can't fake that integration. You need to find those people that can cross those divides between creative and media um, who have done that work in the past. And there aren't really that many that have. Uh, I'm lucky in Luke that, that we've got one. I'm lucky in my head of planning that he's also one. And I've got a lot of multidisciplinary people there that have experience on crossing that divide between those traditional silos. So no, we'll, we'll, we'll push on. And it's, yeah, um, it's fun at the moment. It's genuinely exciting. So what, what I don't understand, though, is we've had this debate for so long about the need for creative and media to get back together. Obviously, the structural 
imperatives and profit imperatives of some of the holding companies means they don't want to put them back together after 20 years of, of separation. But you hear this lament all the time that it's better together. But that's the theory. But I don't see big brands who may rhetorically say it's better really pushing for a sort of an integrated play. You're getting villages. Maybe that's the best compromise you've got. But why are we not seeing this this great uh, storm back to these two disciplines coming together, given they're so critical? Yeah, I think there's a hesitancy there and a little bit of fear because the traditional, like, you know, the level of depth in theory that a media agency can provide with the, the range of disciplines, services and strategic um, smarts and analysis, that's it's quite deep. And there are a lot of people in, in, in a shop like that. And you get, as a client, you get access to a lot of them. Now, maybe only for slivers of time, but that's hard to let go of because the perception is you've got this deep level of expertise that you absolutely need. The truth is you pull up and outwards just a little bit again and you recognise that the, the strongest force multiplier for growth and for effectiveness is in the creative quality of your work and how efficiently that translates for a business. So you, you put it down to efficiency and effectiveness, putting them both together, if you can do it well, is is absolutely the way forward. But it needs you to pull up and pull out a moment to just contemplate that because I think that the depth through which media media agencies can provide service is fantastic and it does suit some brands very, very well. I, I wouldn't say putting the two things together is going to work for everybody and I wouldn't say putting the two things together will always work because I think some clients have felt burnt in the past because it doesn't always work because you don't have the right people. You don't have the right culture and you don't have the right processes to put those things together in the right way. That's my area of specialism. I've run multi-agency groups now for over a decade and I know when it's truly integrated and when it's not. There's a massive difference um, between two types of football teams. Can't believe I'm going to give a football analogy, but a football yeah, team, well, everyone it. plays their, yeah, it's just shocking, but a, a professional football team, everyone plays their key position, but they lap over, they connect, they they cover for each other from time to time. Uh, an eight-year-old football team is is entertaining and amusing, but it's just a bunch of people following the same bouncing ball. They're two different forms of integration, effectively. Mm, yeah. um, but look, client-led integration and idea-led integration are the most effective. And if you can get client-led integration or integrating around a core strategy or an idea, then you can put all those things together and it's going to work brilliantly. We do that. We've got a client at the moment. We've, we've gained them three mil in media bonus over the course of the last three months alone, largely through coming up with ideas baked in media that we could take to vendors and publishers and broadcasters. And they've thought, this is worth it. This is worth it for us. And we've got unreasonable amounts of media value. And I put so much of that down to Luke Ma, my head of media, who is utterly brilliant um, anywhere in the world, and a team that just really believe in ideas. And I sit there in a room, as I did on a recent project, and I've got ideas coming from every single person in that room across four or five different disciplines, and it's awesome. But that takes hard work and time. And you know, now I can pop my head up after a year of hard work and say, yeah, yeah, cool. We've, we've got our house in order. I was going to say, is it scalable, Michael? Yeah, it is. It is. Is it that bespoke approach? So is it, is, can you scale it to a volume play? Yeah, you can. You can. And I'd say, say so again, because John Lewis, Volkswagen, they were big operations, big shops, you know, like 80 people at a point in time I was overseeing on Volkswagen just under my remit. 
So yes, it's scalable um, because we were doing it on those pieces of business. We were working with PhD who in the UK were absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we were working with Merkel who weren't within kind of an Omnicom holding company unit. But everyone knew how to integrate together. We integrated around ideas and the client led that integration from the outset of every brief as well. So everyone played well and we were mates. We still are. Um, most of my best mates long term in this industry, even though I'm called the creative guy, are my former media counterparts. And that's because you, when you get it right, you really love what each other does. You really trust each other and you know when to make each other look like heroes in front of a client. Um, and the clients can read that and you can't fake it, frankly. You just can't. What are your observations on the Australian market uh, from a creative market and mindset capability standpoint versus what you've seen um, across Europe and you know, obviously the UK particularly? I think Australia has and New Zealand for that matter, like we've always been brilliant markets. We are hard workers. We always look for the the angles, you know. The notion of tall poppy syndrome actually is an outer spectrum of how we all operate. We're always trying to find the next thing, but we're also trying to catch each other out. And you see after a decade of being away that other markets in the UK and Europe don't do that so much. There's space to talk. Everyone listens. There's Everyone finishes their sentences. We're very urgent communicators, even I am. And that's quite exciting and energetic. But it just does mean sometimes those little opportunities don't get through. Um, so that's probably one cultural observation, which I really didn't think was there before I left. But it is there and it's really interesting to me now. So we work hard to create cultures where that space for conversation is there and flat structures where everyone's voice is heard. That's kind of culturally the one observation. When it comes to marketing and advertising, I think we are absolutely fantastic and we're actually out outperform and outstrip many of our overseas competitors and just knowing our shit and working our socks off. But in our efforts to sometimes find that next thing or to kind of like outsmart or outspot someone else, we can splinter our workload a little, a little more than I think uh, is sometimes necessary. That can lead to, in technology, an overwrought tax, uh, MarTech stack, <laughs> um, which, is, which is tough to connect to, or through creativity, a splintering of workload rather than fixating on core ideas that can be repeatable, that can deliver real transformation and growth. So we're sometimes just at risk of just you know, spreading ourselves too thin over here compared to, to the UK. And I think to something else I mentioned before, I didn't really hear the sentence in the UK, you know, did the work work? Like it just, it was never really in the parlance or the vernacular because you knew it worked. It was just to, to what extent. And I think it's a little turn of phrase and I don't think people mean it that bluntly here, but it, it pops up all too often, which is why I'm passionate about this. Yes, the work works. Uh, as James Murphy, Adam and Eve once said to me in a reasonably hilarious, but also really honest moment, he's like, why is everyone questioning this? I don't get it. Spend money, advertise, make money. It's that simple. But that's that's the confidence you can have when you're someone like him who has just you know been nailing it for a couple of decades. But that was the viewpoint over there. You kind of had confidence that things were going to work. The inference you're saying here is there's still question marks even from client side about whether the work works. And two points to that, though, is that if the dial's not moving, even if you don't have an econometrics model, if the dial's not moving, there must be questions around the work working. And as I guess the work good enough to work <laughs> yeah. if we don't get a tie, ourselves tied up in semantic, uh, semantics on this. Yeah, yeah. I think what, what I'm looking to prove for, for the most part is, yes, the work works. It's just to what capacity and what degree. It, it typically works. What I've been finding here is a lot of businesses don't have their evaluation models set up in a way that can take in the full picture of the work. Most of it is because it's easier 
and because it's you know how far we've gone, most of it is assigned to what digital is working and how well that connects to sale. Now, for the proportion of spend going into market, just in a normal media mix, like in most businesses, the proportion of non-digital spend is at least 50%. You know, some would say it should be at least 60 62%. But people aren't capturing that. They're taking leaps. They're trying to work out how things connect. And because they can't attribute the real value of that sort of work, which is a large proportion of the overall media mix, if they can't assign success to that, then they're missing so much of the picture. So I think there's confidence in working, there's confidence in the work working, but there's also really honestly being able to determine how well the work's working and what part is working and what's not. And I find there's a big gap in that last part that I mentioned. What part of the work is working? And I think we've, we've, in order to try and make sure that we can prove everything, we're fixating mostly on channels that can give that last click attribution or can talk to return on ad spend. But anyone that's kind of done their homework or look again at Ritson, Burnett, Tom Roach, Tom Roach has done a great, a whole bunch of excellent work. James Herman has, has done a great amount of work on this. I saw, saw him speak recently. I thought he was brilliant. But when we're talking about return on ad spend or last click attribution, we're often just talking about the market being pulled forward. We're not talking about incrementality. We're not talking about the extra value created through our work. It's often just talking about sales that already would have been made, but we can just assign them to a digital click. And that's not routinely providing value to marketers. So that's what I want to fix. And I reckon we're just about there, which is which makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, very, very interesting. So look, um, with all this magic new toolkit you've got and your grand plans for creativity, what is next, um, Michael, for Cummins? What, what are we going to see in... In the next 12 months, two years, what does it look like, your business? So, so better work, provable growth, and effective, this case, studies out the wazoo. I've won gold, personally won gold, silver, bronze, IPA effectiveness awards. And on all of those accounts that we did that, it was bloody great creative work at the same time. That's not a fluke. It doesn't mean I'm great. It normally means I've worked with some really good people. But that stuff doesn't happen by accident. That is just a considered and constant focus on the effect of work and proving it. And again, that doesn't come easy. That's got to be part of your culture, part of your rhythm and part of your everyday conversation. And that's what we'll be looking to do. And, you know, for any client that we've got a couple now that are going to be pushing that way already, but for any client who wants to work in the most transparent way, who wants to kind of be able to prove the value of what they do, then I would say there'll be quite a lot of those out there. So I would hope and expect some some new clients and some new partners uh, who want to work in, in a way that I think in five to 10 years, we'll all look back and say, oh, I can't believe we used to do it that way. I can't believe we kind of did all of that without knowing if it actually worked. That's where I want to be. For me, this is a, a real change moment for our business, but I also hope the industry because we're not going to have excuses for much longer. These technologies and these tools exist and they can make us better. Well, it's a good point to um, part ways, I think, and pledge that I'll be tracking this one. You've put yourself out there. It's a really fascinating position and needed. And let's hope that it works, the work works, and we can loop back around and um, see what's happened uh, in, in six months' time. Michael McConville, thanks for joining. And um, go those econometric models. Yeah, you know, thanks for having me. It was um, hugely enjoyable, and I'm glad to just be able to talk about it now because it's on. It's on. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.